0: Now on Netflix, inspired by the unbelievable true story of a fake hitman, comes the new movie Hitman from Academy Award nominee Richard Linklater. At ninety-six percent certified fresh on Rotten Tomatoes, critics are calling Hitman a smart, sexy crime thriller with surprises at every turn. Starring Glenn
1: Powell and Adria Arjona, Hitman now playing on Netflix and in select theaters. Rated R.
0: Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the 19th episode of Crime Over Wine, the only podcast with head-scratching true crime stories that are just better over a bottle of wine. I'm your host, Liam Collins, and this week I am conferencing in a guest co-host from Arkansas. He's a new news anchor and an Elon Phoenix, too. My guest co-host this week is Perry Elia Durrani. Hello,
1: Perry. How's it going? Hello. It's going well. Good catching up with you. It's been uh, some time, so I was really excited when you reached out. to me, and uh, I'm really impressed you got my last name right. By the way, I didn't. We <laughs> didn't, we a didn't lot. talk about this ahead of time. (laughs) It had been a few years, so uh, nice job. (laughs) Yeah, thanks for that. You know, I I always try
0: to make sure I at least get the name right, otherwise we're off to a rocky start. (laughs) So, yeah, so Perry is another one of my former Elon classmates and student journalism colleagues too. We met at Elon University in Elon, North Carolina, and now he is the morning anchor at KNWA, the NBC and Fox affiliate in Fayetteville, Arkansas. So how's that going for you, Perry?
1: It's going great. Been here about a year, was in uh, Tyler, Texas before that. Eugene, Oregon. So new place, uh, really exciting area. I did not know Northwest Arkansas was as cool as it was until I got here. So it's been awesome. Exploring a lot of outdoor places. And of course it's in the South. So the weather's a lot warmer uh, oh, yeah. than it is in my hometown of Cleveland. So that's. Oh it. yeah. I would,
0: <laughs> I would probably guess. I think they're still thawing out, right? I would probably guess by that. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. No, yeah. they're,
1: they're, we didn't get lucky as lucky this year. But anyway, yeah. uh, I'm still happy because I'm warmer than where I could have been. And yeah. that's a win.
0: Well, yeah, you know, I'm <laughs> from New York and I feel this exact same way. I'm sure. Oh, that's yeah.
1: That's you, you feel it even more than yeah.
0: Oh, yeah, for sure. For sure. Well, you know, Perry, um, this is the t- part of the story that I get excited about every single week. Let's talk about wine. Let's do that. Oh, so, okay. This week, we are drinking Matua's Sauvignon Blanc. It's a white from Marlboro, New Zealand. And it says you can enjoy in the sunshine or by the sea. But it doesn't give a whole lot of, like, detail about, like, what kind of flavors and stuff. So I think we're just going to have to, like, pick it out ourselves. What do you think, Perry?
1: We'll have to try it. Yeah. Oh, wah.
0: And,
1: and again, killing it on these pronunciations, because I'm not sure I would have gotten Marl. It sounds like Marlboro with the cigarette. But. Yeah, I think I think it's I think that is the
0: pronunciation. If not, then yeah, we're just gonna like go for it anyway. It's fine. Well, cheers to you, Perry. Cheers. Thanks so much for coming on.
1: <laughs> if I could clink glasses through a microphone, I totally would have.
0: I know, that's the worst part about this, because I love that sound, I love that clink sound. Well I actually can probably do this. Hold on.
1: I, I yeah. <laughs> that was pretty
0: good. That yeah, was pretty
1: all good. right. Yeah.
0: There you go, right at the bottom of the bottle there. Okay, so this is definitely giving like very strong Sauvignon Blanc f- vibes. This is pretty much like every Sauvignon Blanc I've ever tasted, pretty much. Well, this says you drink it in the sunshine, drink it in the warm weather. You that go. feels. That's the best that's feels... way to
1: enjoy a white,
0: though. I... Oh, for sure. Well, you know, Perry, I have to say the story I'm about to tell you this week is absolutely insane. I just have to mm-hmm. g- dive into it. I have so much to talk about. Yeah. I'm, I'm sure you, you will too. So let's get on to that. What do you say? Let's do it. Yeah. So this week, Perry, I wanted to bring you back to Central North Carolina, just about an hour from where we both spent four years of our lives. But years before either of us lived just down the road from there, a mystery played out that boggled minds and broke hearts all across the Tar Heel State. This week, Perry, I want to tell you the story of Kathleen Peterson, the infamous staircase. Kathleen and Michael Peterson were living this fairy tale life together and I mean that so sincerely the couple was living in this fantastic mansion and yes I do mean mansion to put it into some context in 2020 the house sold for 1.6 million dollars like a crap ton of money for North Carolina real estate even then the house sits on 3.4 acres in the Forest hills neighborhood of Durham North Carolina a luxurious neighborhood where the most well-off in the region research triangle, tend to settle down. The home was even used as a setting for the 1990 movie The Handmaid's Tale, based on the same book as the show that's on Hulu. And from the outside looking in, they were building something truly special together. They got married in 1997 and had what's described as a blended family. Michael had two kids from from a previous marriage, and Kathleen had a daughter, too. But the two also served as legal guardians for two other children. They were the children of some family friends who had died not too long ago?
1: And, and by the way, have seen pictures of this house, as beautiful as you describe, mm-hmm. and, uh, and and I think they said it was like fourteen rooms or something yeah, like that. I mean, just from the outside. I was looking at that one point six million right now. I'm, whew, I would, I would yeah. be surprised. It's not even more than that. And uh, but but really looking at their their life, I mean, I bet to all their neighbors and stuff, these guys look like. I mm. mean, they had everything. Yeah. Well. Yeah. And that.
0: I mean. Like life on like life on this like giant property, right? Yeah. I mean, like it's five kids together. It's two of them. I mean, they were like a pretty attractive, you know, young like youngish couple. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, yeah, they really had it going on, and like like successful this whole thing. Like, man, like they they really had it. Yeah. So, uh, how did their friends die? Because I think you you mentioned that they adopted. These kids? Yeah, well, that's a much more complicated question than you think, okay. Perry, but we're going to get there much later on. So definitely hold on to that thought, write it down if you need to, because we are going to revisit that. At 48, Kathleen was this powerhouse of a woman. Her friends and family described her as strong, resourceful, hardworking, and fun-loving. And frankly, you can see that in every picture you see of her. She looks happy, successful, loving life, and totally head over heels in love with her husband, Michael. Michael collected his wealth as an author. He wrote three different books about his time serving in the Vietnam War. He also ran for mayor of the city of Durham in 1999, but lost by just about 2,000 in votes. I'm going
1: to take a sip. I feel like this is just getting good. I'm, I'm, I'm like, you know, like in the movies where you just start <laughs> to settle in. And you're like, oh, okay, all right. I'm feeling it now.
0: Oh yeah, the music's playing. The music's playing. Well, Perry, it's really hard to imagine just how quickly this next part of the story comes up. But frankly, December 9th, two thousand and one, seems to come just as abruptly. So, how full is your glass right now, Perry? Because I promise you're going to need quite a bit to hear this next
1: part of the story. I poured right around to the curve, which uh, is a, uh, it's a, it's a, it's <laughs> interesting. It's very generous curve, so I'm ready. (laughs) Well, savor every single
0: sip, Perry, because you're going to need it. So, the Petersons spent the evening of December 8th, 2001, watching a movie together before going out to sit by the pool and drink some wine. Kathleen went to bed a bit earlier than Michael, who took about half an hour to sit outside and sit in his own thoughts. Around 2.40 in the morning, Michael follows Kathleen into bed, and to his shock, he finds Kathleen slumped over, unconscious, and bloodied at the foot of the home's back staircase, and he immediately calls 911.
1: John 9 where's your emergency? Uh, 1810 Cedar Street, please. What's wrong? My wife had an accident. She's still breathing. What kind of accident? She's still, downstairs. She's still breathing. Please. Come you Is she conscious? What? Is she I mean, conscious? No, she's not conscious. Okay. Please. How many stairs did you fall down? What? Huh? How many stairs? stairs?
0: How many stairs? What? Uh, uh, Calm down,
1: sir. Uh, Calm down. Uh, no, uh, 15, 20, I don't know. Please, get somebody here right away.
0: Please, okay, come on. Is this back in the ambulance while I ask
1: you questions? It's a force shield, okay? Please, please! Okay, sir. Somebody else is
0: this back in the ambulance. Okay, is she awake now? Hello? Hello? (laughs) Hello? Now, just six minutes later, Michael calls back again.
1: Tom, um, number one, where is your emergency? Where are they? It's the She's not breathing. Please, please, would you hurry up? Can I hear Sir, calm yes. They're on the way. Can you tell me for sure she's not breathing, Sir? Hello. Hello. That is, that's, that is hard. That's hard to hear.
0: Yeah, it is. And, you know, it's, it's crazy because, you know, I, you know, listen to this and I think back to um, episode six of this, of this podcast, the Mariah Woods case. Right. And, oh. you know, I think of that, of that 911 call also North Carolina, also North, uh, North Carolina case, um, you know, and like, you know, I think to about Earl who is, you know, just frantic out of breath. Like I see a lot of similarities there on that front um, because of how, like, you know, he was just running, like, you can just tell he was running around like out of breath and, you know, but one thing that kind of stood out to me was like the, like, like the animations in his voice a little bit bit did you mm-hmm. did you catch on to that too a little bit
1: yeah it it sounded like uh like a lot of tone adjustment mm-hmm. and you know i've never been in a situation like that mm-hmm. i can only imagine like what you know like obviously he was caught off guard when he's just asked right. about the stairs he's like well, what do the stairs even matter right now? yeah i but then <sighs> like took a moment to like calm down and then hung up like. Mm. That is interesting yeah and like you know like the,
0: how many stairs like i sorry i can't help but laugh about because like why the yeah. hell does it matter how many stairs she fell down like yeah. you know what a dumb question that is but like beside yeah. the point but like oh, i don't know like just like it seemed to me like my first instinct is like it was it felt very dramatized like it felt very like you know like Like, almost, like, this was kind of, like, a little bit of a show, almost. Hmm. Like, I don't know. That was just... I don't know. I just... Maybe that's just, like, the true crime junkie in me, and I'm just, like, you know, really just, like, (laughs) wanting it to be something, like, way more nefarious than what it actually is. But, like, I don't... Like, it just felt like he was, like... I don't know I don't know how to describe it it just it, it was like it was like the it was like hello hello like kiss what help me like and I was like whoa like I don't know it just didn't feel it didn't seem like like a like a southern man here he's in his 50s um you know you know what he I would someone like that would have been like
1: well, was a vet too right yeah a veteran yeah a vet very good point covers, yeah covers a lot of these things i've been in yeah was it the marines uh big fluctuation in like you know his his tone and how he approached it it sounded like he almost calmed himself down off of a, mm. like a really high high yeah pretty quickly and then hung up yeah like you would have expected like once you calmed down or he seemed to have audibly calmed down. Mm. Like that's when you would have told the dispatcher more information that yeah. I think they were going to be requesting.
0: Yeah. And well, so you brought up a good point because, um, before, because you know, you never know how you're going to react in the situation. Like everyone yeah. reacts differently. And like, this is truly, you know, I would imagine, you know, the most like, a- like authentic raw reaction you could, you're ever going to have in your life. Right. Cause like who, right. who practices for that kind of thing. No. But, you mm-hmm. know, but he, but also, you know, bringing up a good point about the military life, because like, I know a lot of, of, of you you know of uh you know people in the military people former military and i like that didn't like that like like they have like this very stoic kind of you know collected you know personality and like that i didn't get that at all from from this either so like that i think is was really interesting because like i would imagine that like you know he's seen some stuff you know what i mean like you're telling me you're in vietnam But, like, you know, this is what really gets you. It was his wife, to be fair. Right, yeah. I mean, I have to imagine that's, like, a little bit more traumatic. But, yeah, I don't know. It just – something just feels very off of me about this point – about this. But, like, we'll get there, probably. But by the time paramedics arrived, Kathleen was already dead. There was a large – amount of blood, like more blood, Perry, than I could even describe to you. And frankly, it's a scene you won't be able to unsee. Kathleen had severe injuries, a fracture of her left thyroid cartilage, or the bones that make up the neck, and seven lacerations to the top and back of her head. But there are no major fractures, brain swelling, or bruising. The medical examiner later says that Kathleen likely died from blood loss, anywhere from 45 minutes to an hour after she had suffered her injuries.
1: Now, replaying some of this conversation, I mean, we're looking at the timeline. This was about 30 Mm -hmm. minutes after they were supposedly hanging out, right?
0: Yeah. So Perry, your brain is going right where a lot of people's minds are going at this point. And the timeline of Kathleen's death is not the only thing that does not seem to be adding up here. In Kathleen's autopsy report, the medical examiner notes several really Interesting findings. For starters, those bizarre injuries of lacerations to the back of the head. Her toxicology report also showed she had a blood alcohol content of 0.07%. And we know Kathleen and Michael were drinking wine together. So, it, like, makes a good amount of sense, maybe. And that she also had five to 10 milligrams of Valium in her system, which is used to treat anxiety and seizures.
1: I, can kind of see where this is problematic, right? Because the mm. the point zero seven percent blood alcohol content, uh, pretty high, yeah, yeah. But but falling down the stairs level, uh, probably not, right? But then you consider the volume. And yeah, and that's a different thing that we may go into later, I'm sure.
0: Yeah, we are just about to. So Michael hears this and assumes that that was the source of Kathleen's big fall. He assumes that Kathleen must have been coming back into the house, gotten dizzy or disoriented and fallen down the stairs and died. And Perry, I looked up some of the potential side effects of mixing Valium and alcohol, and I'm hoping that you're able to read these side effects for me. And this is all from the American Addiction Center.
1: Yeah, yeah. So to be clear, the way these side effects typically work, uh, whenever they you know do the, uh, this thing, we call this, right? So they have to, as a part of clinical trials, report every single side effect mm-hmm. that happens to somebody over the course of the clinical trial. So they'll seem really extreme. You'll hear these commercials, mm-hmm. right? For like, you know, the most innocuous yeah. thing. And they'll be like, may result in death. You're like, right. okay, well...
0: So, like one person died and like it may right. or may not have been a part of that. Right, right, right. So
1: I had to put that like asterisk on this yeah. thing, right? No,
0: thanks for bringing that up. And also it should be clear too, like if I remember Perry correctly, like Perry's like a huge, like, you know, biology oh. person, like, <laughs> you know, it, like that's like science is his thing. Yeah. So like, he's like a trusted person on this. It's not right. just like a popular Yeah, I'm, I'm
1: a huge nerd. A, I was a journalism major, Yeah, as, as you know, we, you and I shared that, that right. time together at Elon, but I was also a chemistry major. Which uh, mm. I apologize if I came off insane at some times because uh, it was driving <laughs> me insane.
0: We all have our things. I talk about murder on uh, in my closet, so there like you know, go. <laughs> we,
1: we have yeah. all got our moments. So yeah, so listen. Uh, anyway, with that asterisk, right? Yeah, go for it. Confusion, disorientation, accidents, sedation, stumbling, dizziness, nausea, loss of consciousness, addiction, brain damage, coma. And death. Now mm-hmm. we also know Valium, obviously a very strong drug for these kinds of things. I mean, you always people, right. people reference it in pop culture and things as something they take as a recreational thing. Um, so uh all of these, some of these really lining up here, but we also have to consider mm. death is one of these two. Yeah. Most people don't just spontaneously die after taking Valium. So um right. I think this combo is a dangerous one that people constantly warn you not to do. They, they always warn mm-hmm. you, uh, especially with sedatives, anti-anxiety medication, antidepressants, don't take this while you're drinking because um, it almost always magnifies the effect of mm. the other depressant that you're taking. And so um, you could have, say, one drink of, or one, uh, yeah, one drink, Glass of wine, let's say, because that's what we're drinking right now, right? One glass of wine, and it could feel like two or even three to your body Mm -hmm. um, Mm -hmm. because of the other things in your system. Could that
0: bring up your blood alcohol content, too, at the same time?
1: I mean, not technically. Your blood alcohol content would be the same, but it's more the effect that it has on your system. Mm. When you have multiple depressants running through your system, um, they may not run on the same track, but... There's a very strong warning that doctors give you on every single pill bottle you take that says mm. don't drink this, you know, don't use this with alcohol. For this very reason right. because it compounds and sometimes it's even multiplicative in how much it affects. Yeah.
0: People. Yeah, and I'm also wondering cuz this is like pretty much the only reference that I've seen as to like the fact that Kathleen was was taking these pills, and so I'm wondering, I guess, why she was taking them necessarily. Like I like because I've never I never saw any references to the fact that she had anxiety or had these these um these illnesses. Not saying that she doesn't. I mean, or you know I you know may, you know you can have these things and not tell anyone about it, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, no one you know there's no requirement for you to do that. So I don't know. I guess I I kind of side eye this. A little bit for that reason, only because uh, for for reasons that we're going to get into, obviously. But you know, and, and again, because it it feels like very um very convenient, right? You know, they're talking about dizziness, they're talking about stumbling, or are talking about loss of consciousness. You know, all these things that like would you know cause you to fall down the stairs at this you know the, the the you know thirty second time frame that you happen to be walking up the stairs. You know, yeah. So already
1: a really interesting like thing to add to the pot of. Mm. who did this was it an accident right was it him right already these questions are firing on our heads and yeah then fortunately they're one of these things we are just never going to get an answer to but yeah not a clear answer but, to anyways right yeah. but this could be this could be the thing
0: but it could so yeah.
1: easily not be the thing too
0: oh yeah Oh yeah, you 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 hit the nail on the head there Perry for sure. Well, despite this, the medical examiner makes a really interesting determination. The ME says that they don't think that C- Kathleen fell down the stairs. According to their report, they think that it's much more likely that Kathleen was murdered. The M.E. is looking at those lacerations, the ones to the top and back of her head. They said that the injuries were not consistent with someone who fell down the stairs. Instead, the M.E. argues that those objects are much more consistent with blows from a blunt object, a light yet rigid weapon were the words that she used. Yeah.
1: And uh, before we sat down, I I did look into this case a little, and I this is what's interesting. They also did notice light bruising um, mm-hmm. on early parts of her body, like her wrists. Right. Not mm-hmm. like the things that you would expect if you full on tumble down the stairs enough yeah. to die uh, from, mm-hmm. from bleeding out. First of all, no significant blunt force trauma, um, which also actually might work in the favor of the defense later on as mm-hmm. we, we will we mm-hmm. discover. I'm sure. Uh, but, but, To only have bruises on your wrists? Why your wrists if you're falling down the stairs? And why not your hips, your ribs? Yeah. You know, things that you might hit on the way down. Yeah, yeah, and we're gonna get to that a
0: little bit later on and talk about that. About, talk about why that is a little side eye and worthy of a very, very worthy of um a double eyebrow raise. I like the side eye expression. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's that's yeah, that's that's my thing. So I, I side-eye a lot it's, of things. It's this
1: whole case. Yeah, I think.
0: Oh, I side-eye this whole entire case, but this this case is worth a double eyebrow raise for sure. So the medical examiner rules that Kathleen died from those lacerations to her scalp caused by a homicidal assault. So those are the words that she used, a clear indication that Kathleen was indeed a murder victim. Now that brings up, like, a really obvious question, right? Like, who killed Kathleen, and what did they use to do it? Well, investigators have to go on this mission now to find that murder weapon, hoping that the murder weapon would lead to the murderer. That question, though, proves very difficult to answer. Investigators, based on Kathleen's injuries and the M.E. report, think that they know what that murder weapon might be. What might that be? Well, they think it might be a custom-made fireplace poker that was given to the Petersons as a gift. But it's not that simple, right? I mean, I, when have I ever told you a story that's, like, that simple?
1: I feel like if we wouldn't be talking about this right now, if it was that simple.
0: No, no, no. This would be like, no, this would would have been over 20 years ago if that was that simple. Right. Well, and so the problem is that the poker is nowhere to be found.
1: A missing murder weapon, maybe?
0: Yeah. Well, so obviously this creates some logistical problems for their argument, right? I mean, how can they prove that this very specific, you know, again, custom-made poker was used to murder Kathleen if they can't produce it or test it for blood and DNA? But that doesn't stop them from moving forward with this case at all, not even for one second. On December 20th, just 11 days after Kathleen Peterson died, police arrest and charge Michael Peterson, Kathleen's husband, of two years with her murder.
1: With this, with the fire poker evidence, then, was that enough for them? Nope, not
0: quite. The fire poker is important, but not quite important right at this very moment. Basically, and we're going to get to this whole thing, but, you know, I mean, there's a lot of things that they used to to point to to Michael.
1: Yeah, how, how did that all happen?
0: Yeah, well, there are a few pieces of evidence that police point to that they say proves Michael had something to do with her death. For starters, police are not buying this story that Kathleen fell down the stairs. They said the blood pooling did not support that theory at all. All of Kathleen's blood was pooled at the bottom of the stairs and on the walls. There was no blood on any of the stairs leading up to the top of the staircase. So, like, how did she fall down the stairs without leaving a single droplet of blood? Didn't that makes absolutely no a sense. A bunch of
1: lacerations on the back of her head at the bottom.
0: Right. Yeah. Right. And so on top of that, police said that there, that some of the blood that pooled on Kathleen's feet didn't add up entirely either. They said that the blood that was on her feet was consistent with someone, with, with pooling from Kathleen attempting to possibly stand up after she had already began bleeding. So they say that that was more evidence that Kathleen died from blunt force trauma, not a fall down the stairs, because if the fall was bad enough to kill her, surely it would have knocked her unconscious, right? But between the first and seventh blows to the back of her head, it's you know entirely possible that she could have stood up to try and defend herself, only to fail and fall back down at the foot of the stairs.
1: Yeah. And, th- and this is what I think is really interesting, is the, the the blunt force trauma isn't there in terms of the autopsy. Like, they... The the lacerations were, but the Mm -hmm. actual damage to the skull wasn't. And and that, I think, is one of the most fascinating bits that kind of goes into this theory of how did you get the lacerations that were enough to kill you without something hitting you with enough force to also cause that blunt force trauma?
0: Yeah, and you know, it, and it's kind of crazy too because it, that kind of adds to this like very specific like murder weapon that like they just can't find. Yeah. Like, where did that even come from? So, like, yeah, that is so that is really fascinating like a, too. I totally like a agree with really that brutal scratch, but like
1: a killer one,
0: right? And so the and you know the the description of this murder weapon, right, is is so interesting to me because it's talking about a light yet rigid object. Like, what does that even mean, really? Like, I don't even really know. Like, a, like, like a light, average object. Like, I think of like a pen. Like, a pen's like light, you know. But yet, yeah, like, pretty rigid. But it wouldn't kill you unless you were like stabbing it with the tip. Yeah.
1: And and you and I, we're we both work as reporters, and 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 have done a lot of this. We've done with a lot of police jargon, and it's mm-hmm. it's an interesting territory because, like, on one end you know they they want to be factual so they are right. purposely not right. very descriptive because they don't want what they're saying to be incorrect and have that blow up in their face later yeah but at the same time when you're looking at this from a from a press perspective as a you know as a normal person you're like light rigid object could you yeah. could you give us a little bit more like i, I don't know <laughs> yeah right right
0: like what the heck what does that even mean what is like what even is that like man yeah oh man yeah I have so many questions about yeah man man yeah that gets me and you bring up, but I do think you bring up a really good point about, like, about, you know, being vague enough, but specific enough because even, like, not from a journalistic perspective, from like simply a court perspective, right? Like, you want to be able to, you know, support that. Like, you know, when you go to, when you eventually go to court with whoever, you know, is your suspect, is your, is your perpetrator, then you want to be able to, to say, like, yes, from the very beginning, we said that it was like something like this, right? Like something along these lines. And so even if it wasn't like specific, you know, you know, so you, so you don't want to make it too specific of saying like yes it was like this like fire poker because like what if it wasn't but like you also don't want to be like too vague that you like it, you you know you overcast your net and then like a judge doesn't buy it mm-hmm. so yeah so you bring up a really good point and you know that so i don't it's it's just like the police you know workaround of this whole thing and that is like like this is like the best example of it that i could probably find ever
1: right right and at the time they didn't know that a fire poker was missing they didn't know mm-hmm. they were looking for a fire Poker.
0: Yeah, right. Yeah, well, you know, this whole thing, Perry, gets even weirder, because if you remember, the injuries that the medical examiner reported were entirely concentrated to Kathleen's head, and that was the other reason why the ME said the injuries were inconsistent with a fall, because if she did fall down the stairs, like, how did she not suffer any other injuries kind of like what you're talking about like where are the injuries to the hips to the thighs to the you know where 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 is everything else like you bang everything on the way down like why is it just concentrated to the head
1: i think for that level of speculation gotta
0: take another sip I agree with that. Well, with all of this evidence, that points to Kathleen's death being an obvious homicide mixed in with the fact that Michael was the only person home at the time of her death. That leads police and prosecutors to reach this obvious conclusion that Michael Peterson is the person responsible for his wife's brutal murder. But, I mean, that is like the most circumstantial case I have ever heard of, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, so they have to prove it with some sort of motive. Yeah, just because
1: he was home doesn't make him guilty.
0: Yeah. Right, exactly. And even he you know his his alibi is he was out of the pool, like, you know, they have no reason to believe or deny that, mm-hmm. right? So, you know, but I mean, man, Perry, like the motive evidence police present is a whopper. So, I hope you have your glass and probably your entire bottle handy for this one.
1: Uh, I have both in good each hand.
0: Good. Well, <laughs> there you go. There you go. All you know, all the while that Michael is facing these charges, his children, adopted children and Kathleen's sister are all saying that they believe that Michael is innocent. But that all begins to change when they learn why Michael may have been actually responsible for Kathleen's death. For starters, reading that autopsy report which lays out plain and simple that Kathleen was murdered, no questions about it. But then, they also learn that Michael was hiding a secret life about himself.
1: This is this is where it always comes around. You're like, okay, yeah. I think it's cool. And then you search a computer, you start going through oh, documents, yeah. and, uh... That, that peachy outside life that you were describing. Starts to fall apart.
0: Well, prosecutors said that Michael was secretly bisexual, and they know that because they looked through his laptop and found naked pictures of men and also messages with male prostitutes to arrange sexual meetups. Prosecutors really lean into this discovery, saying that none of his friends or family were aware of the secret lifestyle that Michael was living. No one except... For Kathleen. So, prosecutors said that shortly before Kathleen's death, she had discovered Michael's bisexual tendencies and was furious about it and even threatened to leave Michael. Now, Michael denies this, saying that they had problems, sure, but they were working through it because they really did love each other and were trying to save their marriage, even arguing that Kathleen had accepted him as being bisexual and apparently their children had agreed with that. But in all, Michael says that he would never hurt his wife, and he pleads not guilty to the first-degree murder charge.
1: Interesting. So how did all of this hold up in court?
0: Well, at Michael's trial, prosecutors lay into him, painting him as this secretive, deceptive man who saw his wife as the symbol of a life he was no longer interested in living and killed her to break free and start all over. And in order to do that, prosecutors start laying out some evidence that shows just how much Michael had really been hiding after all of these years. Coming to Michael's defense, his team of lawyers paint some serious doubt about the way the medical examiner is characterizing Kathleen's death. A forensic expert hired by Michael's defense argued the blood spatter in the staircase was indeed consistent with Kathleen falling down the stairs, and not only that, but her injuries weren't consistent with blunt force trauma at all. In fact… Michael's defense team argues that the injuries sustained to her head had to be sustained by a fall down the staircase. Because if Kathleen was really beaten by the supposed fire poker, that it really, this at this point, is just imaginary, right? Then how could there be no hemorrhaging or even a skull fracture? Right? I But yet, it was apparently enough to force to be able to kill her. That kind of feels weird to them. So, this is what they think happened. They think Kathleen maybe had one too many glasses of wine that night, like we've all been there, right? And that mixed with her usual Valium in a way that really messed with her balance and she was going inside to turn in for the night when she gets dizzy on the staircase and falls, only to bleed out at the bottom of the stairs without anyone knowing about it for at least the next 30 minutes.
1: Yeah. And, and you know, if you had just fallen and maybe at some point you start to bleed out, you start to come to, like, the, the thing about her mm-hmm. getting up and then getting back down again, mm-hmm. uh, I mean, it's reasonable to, to think that she could have tried to get up on her own like and call for help. Yeah. Like, no, clearly no one was yeah, coming. Yeah, sure. I don't know.
0: And it's just her and Michael. I don't know how far the, the pool is, yeah, is from shouting the distance? staircase. I you've mean, seen
1: the size of this house.
0: Yeah. It's pretty I mean, big. It's it is pretty big. Defense attorneys also say that the specific fire poker they said that must have been the murder weapon is really strange. I mean, how could they be so sure that that was what was used to kill her if they never found it? Well, they have a solution to how they could prove that the fire poker was indeed never used in the murder because the defense team actually has the fire poker.
1: Interesting. How did they find it when police
0: couldn't? Well, they found the fire poker in the house. The fire poker was sitting in the basement of the home and I guess was either overlooked or ignored by police when they searched the house. And his defense team says that the way it was found proves this was not the murder weapon because it appeared as though it was sitting there for weeks and didn't have a trace of blood on it
1: well so so I mean how does this how does this all line up because that's the whole that's a prosecution's old case oh yeah so how, so what did they say to this right yeah I mean that first of all, I have a lot of questions about first of all like how do
0: you find like the supposed murder weapon and like not just like you know say like like you like you found it right so like why don't you say to, to police hey by the way like this doesn't have any blood on it. it looks like it hasn't moved in a long time like that to me is suspicious to the defense
1: team why if the fire poker is the prime Suspected weapon did they not find the fire poker like listen I know it's a big house but like this is their job yeah it's not to that big this kind of stuff. Right. And like and like
0: to be clear like this whole house is a crime scene now. Like the whole property is a right. crime scene. Like when you find a dead body on it that like like l- has blood everywhere, like you have to close down the entire property. Like you're telling me that like you have this very specific fire poker in mind and like didn't like comb through every single inch of the house and the property to try to find it. Ooh. Bad feeling in my stomach about that.
1: It's bad for somebody.
0: Oh, very bad. Very, very bad. Now, because the defense is clearly disputing the physical evidence, prosecutors only decide that they have to make an even better case against Michael, and they go right after his credibility. Mm -hmm. Prosecutors said that basically everything we knew about Michael was a total lie, not only his marriage and his sexuality, but also his military experience, Mm -hmm. the one that he wrote so extensively about. And some of of the things prosecutors, bring up cast some serious doubt on this heroic, picture-perfect story he tells about his life. Michael said that he had all sorts of medals, including even a Purple Heart, but when he was asked to produce proof of that, he could only show the actual medals, but he did not have any of the documentation that proved that he was actually awarded it. Plus, Perry, do you remember when I told you about how Michael ran for mayor of the city of Durham?
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. What's, how does this tie in?
0: Well, apparently, one of the reasons that he lost, as reported by WRAL, the NBC affiliate in Raleigh, North Carolina, was because he admitted to lying about some of the stories that he told in his book, including an injury that he said he sustained in Vietnam. Michael said that he has sustained a permanent injury to his right leg in combat, but then later admitted that he had actually injured his leg in a car crash in Japan.
1: It's not really like, oh man, like, I guess I just... So that slipped my mind like if you have a permanent injury you you don't even have to remember it you can just look down right well and
0: like also like not like not only like you know like like different like circum like like circumstances of like how this all happened but you also like wrote a whole freaking book
1: about right. it like you really have to feel pretty yeah. confident to like say okay let's document this forever and then sell it to right people and establish my entire professional credibility upon the fact that this is true
0: yeah and like i can't like what makes them think that like nobody's gonna ever question that like hello like you like like you have like there's a whole freaking branch of the military that like would know about like the intimate details about how this all happened like you're telling me that you're just gonna write a book about this and like expect to just be okay
1: i mean i guess maybe as journalists this is especially hard for us to understand because like we hold ourselves to this standard mm. of like yeah, you do something like that. I mean, this is an outright lie. Yeah, this is wild. To
0: well, be. and like, and like, it's just it kind of makes me mad because, like, you know, again, I know a lot of military people. I know a lot of first responders, like that kind of yeah. thing. And so, like, I like, you know, how much, like, how, like, how much of a spit in the face is that? You know what, what I mean? To be like, because, because there are so many like military people who like actually like like injured themselves in the like in way worse such in way worse scenarios than this, and way less way way you know less severe scenarios than this. And so you're gonna like, you know, totally lie about this, serve in the military and totally lie about how you injured your leg and then write a whole freaking book about it. <laughs> like that is so like that is so embarrassing to you, but also to the whole military who like is actually like, you know, sacrificing things on a regular basis right. to actually suffering potential permanent injuries yeah. to their right leg. And you're gonna profit off of it. Yeah. Ugh, gross. Totally gross. Yeah. Like, it makes me even think, like, I I don't know, I haven't really looked too much into, like, what he actually is all about, but, like, it makes me, like, really question, like, whether or not he actually served at all, but, like different podcast, probably. (laughs) Well, so all of this is clearly an attempt by the prosecution to discount pretty much everything Michael has ever said on and off the stand and paint him as this deceitful person who is unreliable as a witness or, frankly, even a suspect. And they said if he would lie about his military accomplishments so publicly and mislead about his sexual advancements so publicly too, surely he would lie about how he found his Wife that night and could potentially be capable of murdering her and collecting on her life insurance policy, which oh by the way Perry was worth one point five million dollars.
1: Jeez, and I wish one day my life insurance policy is is that strong. Like I, oh yeah, like, I wonder. Where, you, it makes me wonder. Like I don't.
0: I didn't really look too much into this, but it makes me wonder what Kathleen did. Like what? It, like what uh, crap, girl.
1: I, all I know is a telecommunications executive, but. Uh, mm. But that sounds like a that's a pretty good job title. Like if someone handed you that yeah. business card, you'd be like, okay. You
0: made your white life worth 1.5 million dollars. So there you go, girl. Clearly,
1: clearly it's working.
0: Yeah. If all of this wasn't enough for prosecutors to prove that Michael had something to do with Kathleen's death, they have just the thing that is going to do that. But it's going to require them going deep back into the family's past. Perry. Do you remember when I told you about the Peterson's family friends who had, like, tragically passed away? Yeah, and then they
1: adopted their kids.
0: Right. Well, get ready, because prosecutors take a closer look at that case, and what they find is absolutely and positively mind-boggling. To tell you about that, Perry, I need to go to November 25th, 1985. The Petersons are visiting their good friend, Elizabeth Ratliff. Her husband had died not too long before this time, which really brought the, few, to the two families together. Like I said, Elizabeth has two young kids from this marriage, and the family lives in Germany. The families had dinner together the night before, and the Petersons were just about to leave from their trip when they got yet the horrible news that Elizabeth. Elizabeth. Elizabeth was suddenly found dead.
1: Yeah. And this is what gets me. This is what I, we were talking about a little bit earlier on. Mm. I mean, uh, uncanny this, Mm. how, how, how eerily similar this death was.
0: Yeah. Well, let's get there, Perry. Right. So Elizabeth was found by the family's nanny in rough shape, right? Bloodied and at the foot of a staircase.
1: Are you like? Are you kidding me right now? Like yeah. this guy's luck is either either the worst that yeah. that <laughs> yeah. you know right. exists. I mean, how, how could you? How could you not at least even see this as someone who's looking at the case and is like, yeah, that, the side eye. Yeah, Here, here's the return. That's the side, side eye. That's area. the
0: definition of a side eye. Yeah. yeah, 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 <laughs> yeah. Right. I mean. Like you said, I mean, this guy either has the worst luck ever, or he's a murderer, right? I mean, I mean, that's yeah. that, that's literally the only two options in the world about this. And so let's let's just talk about this. So Elizabeth's death is investigated by German police and the U.S. military and ruled to be unsuspicious at first, a total accident.
1: Okay, I, I, I'm so sorry. You, I, I'm not over this. Sure. So so not only is it the same like, situation. But can you imagine... So, okay, there's... He's either a murderer or really unlucky. Or, here's an interesting one. It was an accident the first time, but then the second time he's like, no, this, yeah. like, this feels like my special place. You know? Yeah. This is... <laughs> the bottom of the staircase yeah. is really calling to me because of all the trauma. I don't know. It's just... Oh, this this is yeah. so many levels. Well,
0: and like you bring up a really good point there. Of like, okay, well, like, okay, well, let's say like, sure, like like, like Elizabeth's death is just like a total like anomaly, right? Like this is like like it was a real accident, blah blah blah, whatever. Sure. That's not what happened. But like, sure. So like you know like let's go there. But and then and then go along the uh, along the assumption of like Michael killed Kathleen. So like. I, that raises so many other questions for me of like, so like, why, like, like, where did that come from? Like, why did it happen to be at the full circle thing
1: for them? Yeah. Like, like she's like, oh, you know, I, at least I hope I don't end up on the bottom of a staircase and it was like Mm -hmm. an inside joke between them. And he's like, you know what? Like, maybe, maybe you will. You know, I don't know. I don't know. We don't know. But
0: yeah. Oh, man. Well, after the investigation, that's when the Petersons decide to adopt Elizabeth's two children. But then, while police in Durham are investigating Kathleen's death, they get wind of this case in Germany, too. And obviously, like we said, the similarities are just too much to ignore. They interview witnesses and look over reports and find that the night before Elizabeth was found, Michael wrapped up dinner with the Ratliff family and helped to put her children to bed. And based on their investigation, they were able to determine that Michael was indeed the last person to see Elizabeth alive. So they order Elizabeth's body to be exhumed. And you'll all remember when Michelle and I talked about the Stephen Smith case a few weeks ago, that this, like, never Happens, And what they find uh, ends up paying off. They perform a second autopsy in April of 2003 and overturn the previous ruling of an accidental death and label it, indeed, a homicide, saying that she had also died of blunt force trauma to her head.
1: Okay, so... I'm still not over this. So... Me neither. Imagine... These are all hypothetical scenarios. We don't know exactly what Mm -hmm. happened. There's my little journalist caveat that I have to add to all of this, (laughs) right? Okay, so...
0: Knowing this. Yeah.
1: If he did commit two murders, dude, the guts on this guy... Yeah, for real. ...to go and be like, well, you know, worked once Mm. with a very close family friend that everyone knew. Yeah. Like, why, if you had this whole house and a hundred percent access to I mean, This is your wife. Like, it's not like you, you couldn't mm. have done this anywhere else. Like,
0: well, and also in North Carolina, like I'm sure you had a gun or something, right? I, like
1: maybe, maybe we don't, We, but the thing, the point is, is like, this is an instant waving red flag. Mm-hmm. So we go back to that thing of yeah. like, are you just super bold or are you? Yeah
0: just super unlucky. Yeah. Well, let's get to what, you know, prosecutor, how prosecutors lay all this evidence out. Right. Like let's, let's go to that because I think that that kind of, you know, puts us in a little bit of a different light. So let's go there. So, you know, Sure, the implication here is obvious. If Michael killed Kathleen, he probably killed Elizabeth too, but that's not the direction that prosecutors are going here. Hmm. Prosecutors introduced the evidence gathered in the Elizabeth-Ratliff investigation as proof that Michael used Elizabeth's death and recreated the crime Mm -hmm. in Kathleen's case so that he could get away with that just as whoever killed Elizabeth had gotten away with that murder.
1: That deserves a sip of wine because that
0: yeah is... well but like also kind of like if that's true like kind of genius like hate to even like put like you know give like a murderer that kind of credit but I mean it's true like you see a murderer of your friend like at the bottom of the staircase like you like whoever did it got away with it like sure like you know I want to murder my wife let's go for I it guess right if
1: it worked for somebody else maybe it right were... I just I can't it's so hard for me to believe that someone who paints themselves as a journalist is is, regardless of your opinions, a, clearly a thoughtful person. Because you have to be a level of thoughtful in order to write books and mm-hmm. run for mayor and to do all the yeah, things that he right, was right. trying to do with his life and enjoy the success that he was enjoying with his life. You got to think that at some point, the thought occurred to him that was like, oh. Everyone can easily see that this death happened yeah. in my life, and it would be real shady fishy if I did something similar. Oh. So you just not care?
0: Yeah. Oh, and by the way, like everyone knows that you're the last person to see both of these women
1: alive. Right. <laughs> yeah. And, and 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 now, who knows if he knew at that time though, too? Because like they say, her they mm. didn't rule it as a homicide until is her body was exhumed pending this trial. So right. presumably at that time he wouldn't have known that that was a murder. Mm. Uh mm. True. Very 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 true. This trial happened mm. after the murder of his wife.
0: Yes. So so with that, po- that. so so to the point, to that point, I think, so they, so they exhumed her body in April, 2003. His trial began in either late June or early July of 2003. Yeah.
1: But the, but the murder would have had to happen before the body was exhumed. So yeah. In which case, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Would have either, Oh, very, very true. A, yeah. He wouldn't have known that that was a murder. Very, have very true. Known, mm. or at least had his suspicions that that was a murder. B. Mm been involved with Mm -hmm. that
0: murder or knew the person who did kill elizabeth
1: or is just really unlucky
0: yeah Mm. yeah i don't listen i believe in a lot of things I, i believe in you know ghosts i believe in aliens i do not believe in coincidences especially when they come involved in murder cases so yeah Yeah. Yeah. Well, after a three-month trial, one of the longest in North Carolina history, a jury saw what so many other people saw and, like, what Perry and I are seeing right now. That Michael had ruthlessly killed his wife Kathleen to start over and tried to get away with it all by convincing police that she had simply fallen down the stairs and to her death. On October 10th, 2003, Michael Peterson was convicted of first degree murder and sentenced to life in prison without the possibility of parole.
1: So there it is. Podcast over.
0: Oh, no, 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 (laughs) no, no, no. no, no. Podcast is not over, Perry. We still got like three more pages to go through. Okay, good,
1: because I got like three, three, uh, forces of this wine bottle to get through.
0: Yeah, oh yeah, you're going to need that too, Perry, so savor that one. So, you know, that is not the end of the story, not even close. So buckle in, pour another glass if you need to, because we still have so much more to talk about. Michael's defense attorneys decide that they are going to appeal the conviction. I mean, like, what do they really have to lose, right? But they end up laying out a pretty strong case for reversal. Michael's attorneys argue that he did not get a fair trial, saying that the prosecution had withheld multiple pieces of exculpatory evidence, or evidence that the defense could at least use to try and prove that their client did not commit the crime. Brady and Giglio laws are in place for this very reason. They guarantee the right for defense attorneys to have access to all of the physical evidence that prosecutors and police collected throughout the course of their investigation so that they can have the opportunity to dispute it, of course. For starters, they bring up that poker, that freaking poker, right? The one that prosecutors swore was involved in Kathleen's murder, but that they could not produce. The defense said that prosecutors did know that the poker was in the house and had no evidence of being used, but didn't produce that to the defense. I mean, that makes sense, right? How could they be able to know about the poker enough to say that the injuries matched up to that specific homemade poker if they didn't know where it was. Plus, even if they didn't have it, how were they allowed to introduce that into evidence? I mean, that's totally hypothetical and a bit of a reach, right, to say that you know that specific poker that was missing at the time of the investigation somehow matched the wounds if you don't even have that poker to prove it.
1: Right, right. And this whole thing is just so shady, too, because on top of this, the uh, they later came back and presented their own poker, the family mm-hmm. did, one that they had found. And they said, oh, you know, it was sitting in a dark corner and uh, yeah. it couldn't have been that one. So, like, which poker are we even talking about? Because the prosecution said, no, that's not the poker that right. I gifted uh, to mm. the family. And so now the pokers aren't even lining up.
0: Yeah, well, and so yeah, to that point too. So it was the sister, I believe, right that that the, that the gifted sister this poker, of, right? Of
1: Kathleen that gifted yeah. the poker, and she said, "Yeah, that's no. not the poker that I'm talking about. That's missing. <laughs> yeah. That's a different poker." How, and, and, I'm sorry. Maybe this is just what happens when you have a really nice house, but who has two fire pokers? Just like, yeah. Out? And I, you know, Perry I just have that same thought. I'm just be <laughs> sure.
0: again, like Mansion. let's keep this in mind. So like, yeah. maybe they have multiple fireplaces, but why do you need two custom made pokers?
1: I I don't even have one. Yeah. Yet. That's, that's my life.
0: <laughs> All yeah, right. Yeah. Right. Even when I had a fireplace, I like was using like the extra wood to like, try to get it going. And then like, you just have like multiple pokers sitting around that like may or may not have been used in a murder. Yeah. <laughs>
1: I feel so, fancy. I've got a gas fire and that uh, the poker is not quite useful. Today. Yeah,
0: right. So next, the defense points to blood spatter evidence, and not only the blood spatter that they argue was consistent with the fall, but also the lack of blood spatter that proves that Kathleen was not struck seven times with poker or, at the very least, not by Michael Peterson. To prove that, they point to Michael's shirt, which was collected the night of the murder. The defense says that there was no blood spatter at all in Michael's and the prosecution knew there wasn't and how could a person who committed a a murder with as much blood as was found at the foot of the staircase that night not have a single droplet of blood on his clothing and the reason the defense uses this in their appeal for new trials because that night police looked over the shirt and said there was no blood on it at all but also said that they used black lights to look the shirt over and found no traces of blood and didn't turn that information over to the defense before the trial
1: and that's that's going to get you in trouble. And it's interesting mm. because like in one way this works in the defense's favor, obviously because they didn't receive this information. It's critical yeah. if, to the trial and, and uh, you know, we're, we're well, I'm sure we're getting to the point where, you know, okay, now we have to go back and take a look at this. Yeah. But it's also interesting too, because your shirt's completely clean. I mean, we've got a 911 mm-hmm. call mm-hmm. Um, and you can look up the pictures. I mean, it's a, uh, A big pile of blood um, And it's odd that It wouldn't have a drop of blood Mm. On him yeah. Uh, you know, I would almost suspect, even if he was innocent, that the shirt would have a little bit of blood.
0: Yeah. And like also to that point, like, like I even look at you like even more with a little bit of a, of like my famous side eye because I like why, like, if I found my, my wife at the foot of, of a staircase, dead, unconscious, whatever, without much blood everywhere, like you're telling me that you didn't like grab her, like, you know, like instinctively, like try to do CPR or something that right. like would have gotten some sort of blood on you. And then there was also to like, so, like, there was some report. Reports, reporting that they um, that they found blood like like on the inside of his shorts, and like that was like the only blood that they found, which was kind of mm. strange. So yeah, it, I don't know. And like, but also too, like, so like, there's the possibility. I feel like if if if, if all that is true that we just talked about, that like this must have been, you know, how how this like should have played out. Then like mm-hmm. then that leads to me like the only other option is oh well he changed his clothes, but then like mm-hmm. where are the other pieces of clothing that like would have had to have blood on it and like why did he change his clothes with the (laughs) with this mysterious fire poker right exactly not
1: the not number not fire poker number two but fire poker number one right exactly
0: so yeah oh man and so but then that like leads the obvious question of like okay well like like why did he change his clothes why did he feel the need to change his clothes like that just makes you look so suspicious
1: yeah yeah
0: Yeah. Well, all of this doesn't sway a judge. The defense files multiple appeals for a new trial, but it's denied over and over and over again. That is until 2011, when serious doubt is raised in North Carolina over a ton of cases handled by an analyst with the State Bureau of Investigation. The state's attorney general's office, headed by now Governor Roy Cooper, concluded an investigation into a series of materially misleading and deliberately false testimonies that was there. Their words from the analyst on a ton of cases, the attorney general found that the analyst had misled evidence in dozens of cases, and that analyst ended up being fired. And when that happens, you have to look at every single case that person has ever been a part of, and I mean every single one, and that included the trial of Michael Peterson. Michael's team used this information to run, and I mean run, to an appeals court to ask for a new trial, and he was granted one based on the results of this investigation. But they never got to that new trial, because Michael takes what's called an Alfred plea, which is an admission that there is indeed enough evidence to convict the person but they still maintain that they are innocent. Michael is sentenced on a new misdemeanor charge and sentenced to reduced time, which included time that he had already served. But he had already served all of that time, so he was immediately freed.
1: And this is wild, because, I mean, now we take this into present day, and Michael is free. I Mm -hmm. mean, he has that label of of convicted murderer because he took the Alford plea, but the end result was he's living his life and, and wrote multiple books about this. Yeah. case. I mean, it's, it's, it's wild to think so that is gross. Uh, uh. all of this comes down to a trial and, and, and the, 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 the people in question. And I think it really highlights underscores the importance of, you know, the kind of work that we don't see behind the scenes yeah. that leads up to the case, because I mean, rightfully so in our country, if, There is some kind of thing that skews the trial that Mm -hmm. could affect someone the rest of someone's life. Oh, absolutely. That that brings the whole thing into question. And so baffling that (laughs) that the analyst here would mislead evidence, would not include blood spatters that would compromise a a major case that would compromise some families potentially getting justice if if this is. Uh, what he did, so yeah,
0: well, and that's why you know, and and that's exactly why you know we should be holding police, investigators, analysts under you know such an intense microscope, right? Because yeah. their work, every single piece of their work, really does matter, and not only can it impact that one case, can impact dozens, hundreds of other cases, you know, depending on how big this this mistake or this this you know lie is, right? And so you know, and so let's just go to now, you know, where how how this Alford plea you know affects the case, right? Because on paper, sure, you know this is a oh, this is a closed case, right? In terms of prosecutors, in terms of investigators, they found their guy. He admitted, not admitted to doing it. So in their in their terms, case closed, right? But who who's in jail for this? No one, right? The, he, you know, takes takes a plea, takes a guilty plea, a pseudo guilty plea, and yet we're and you know, and he he maintains his innocence. So we're not looking, but but we're still not looking for for somebody else if he really is innocent. But we're also not you know holding Michael accountable if he's really guilty because he's out of jail and he could yeah. he could potentially do this with somebody else.
1: And and there's so many questions still out there. I mean, I I feel like it would be so frustrating to be you know. I guess related to this case as a family member, yeah, as a Mm. a neighbor, or as someone who cares. As an investigator, yeah, yeah, Mm. in a in a personal level, because it's like, well, I'm never going to have this answer now, yeah, and and what I thought was true, what I thought we when we got that conviction, you know, apparently wasn't, or maybe it was. That's just the thing when there's a botched trial, and and we Mm. find ourselves in these situations like we. Never get to know. And I think that if you're part of the family that lost a loved one and you're you're looking back on this and and you, if if you believe that he did this, that Michael did this, you know, I I can't imagine what that must feel like knowing that he is out of jail, doing his Mm. thing, writing books you know, and about profiting.
0: Yeah. Profiting off of his wife's brutal, at the very least death, like, oh, so gross.
1: I will say, I I mentioned these books a couple of times. I do believe that those, the the proceeds from those books did go to the charity, but but nonetheless, I mean, I do think that he also got several deals on top of this. He he used some of this publicity um, as if you believe he's innocent, maybe he should have. Yeah. But, but nonetheless, he this this propelled his career forward Mm -hmm. which is just
0: yeah well and he wrote other books and i'm sure that you know the the even if he's not directly profiting off of these books i'm sure that you know like you said it raised his profile to collect money off of his other multiple books which by the way oh by the way he also lied about like not even the point but yeah it makes me that makes me want to throw up
1: and and then there's still this lingering interest in his case there's uh I, I can't. I think we mentioned it earlier. I, I can't really remember. The the wine's been doing a good job, um, but <laughs> but there obviously multiple. There's a Netflix series. There's an HBO series. Mm. And to just throw even more shade on this, he was involved in the original Netflix series to the point where he formed a relationship with one of the editors yeah. of that Netflix <laughs> yeah. series. So even <laughs> after this case. Even after this is all done, if you believe that he's guilty, you're this family member and you're seeing this guy. I mean, literally having relationships with Mm. the people who are making the documentary about something that changed your family forever. I mean, Mm. ah, I can't imagine the sting. Yeah, seriously. Well, you know, at
0: least from an investigative standpoint, right, you know, justice has been served, question mark, I don't know, but, you know, like kind of what you alluded to, Perry, you know, Michael's family had changed their mind about his involvement in Kathleen's death. They had all decided that they knew Michael was guilty. Kathleen's daughter files a wrongful death lawsuit to try and get some justice for her mother's death. Michael ends up filing for bankruptcy in rebuttal, but Kathleen's daughter objects, and they end up reaching a settlement for a whopping $25 million in, to- in 2007.
1: OK, this is going to sound terrible, but uh, my first instinct is, wow, it must be nice to be sued for twenty five million dollars. Like, does this guy have twenty five million dollars mm-hmm. to burn? The the whole point of the prosecutors were making was that he was yeah. possibly using this uh, murder to collect life insurance money of like yeah. one point something million. Like, mm-hmm. but yet he has twenty five million or yeah. at least can be sued well- for it. <laughs> Yeah, and he, you know, he
0: he files for bankruptcy, but then, you know, a couple of years later, it's like, okay, actually, like, I'm not bankrupt, like, I do have $25 million to give you because, you know, you think that I killed your, your, or your mom. So, wow. yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, Perry, that is really where things stand with Kathleen's case today. But, you know, this is, there is this wild theory, and I do mean wild, oh, about so what may have happened to Kathleen. I know you are. <gasps> If it indeed was not Michael after all, and it's just too crazy for me not to tell you about, so oh, let's go there. Yeah, we'd
1: be doing people a disservice, and we didn't tell them- Oh, about 100% the owl theory
0: it is called the owl theory and yes you're hearing that right it's it's the bird okay it's the bird owl and yes it is because supporters of this theory believe that an owl may have been the one who killed Kathleen this theory is based off of the fact and yes it is a fact that police had found feathers and microscopic feathers too um in Kathleen's hair and on her clothing so the theory is that Kathleen was attacked by a barred owl outside of the house and she ran inside and that is when she tripped and fell down the stairs to her death. so
1: it's it's hard when you're when you're weighing this because like someone's dead right and you don't want mm-hmm. to like make light of that however it is this theory is ridiculous it, it is a ridiculous theory but but the thing is is what if, what if like let' let's just let's just imagine because can you imagine if if, if an owl had flown in literally, <laughs> Killed your wife and now you're yeah. on the hook in this multi year long <laughs> yeah. you know, for, for, for decades. And, and and you're sitting in jail like, man, this owl like I swear. Yeah, man. seriously. I told her we should have moved to somewhere they didn't have. Yeah, know, specific right. right, kind of right. But but going into this, I mean, these attacks aren't uncommon. And if you look at the patterns sure. of the damage, there's actually really interesting diagrams that show mm-hmm. how the talons of an owl could have actually lined up. It would have lined up with the fact that she had these deep scratches, but mm-hmm. not the blunt force trauma that you maybe would have expected yeah. with this kind of death. Uh, would yeah, have made but- actually a lot of things make sense. Except for the fact that would an owl really just outright kill somebody at the yeah. bottom of the stairs? Yeah, and you know, be in the house mm-hmm. too. I don't know. Yeah, you know,
0: you know. I think I thought about this a lot, and like, sure, like these, like you said, like these these attacks are like pretty common. Like they do tend to attack people kind of out of nowhere, seemingly at least. So like, mm-hmm. okay, but like I just think so. Like the thing that gets me is like, okay, if she was attacked by this owl like out like to the point where she fell down the stairs like wouldn't there be and like there are like feathers all over her like wouldn't there be feathers like all over her body in her hands like right you know you would have at like,
1: least gotten like a glancing like grab at the owl yeah some feathers right. this, we wouldn't be finding well uh, in my yeah in my imagination microscopic microscopic unless yeah. like this owl just really really went in real fast and got out yeah I mean, that's the only thing that i could think of it was really interesting too the way this came up because I believe it was like a neighbor of the of mm-hmm. Michael who first brought this he was also a, a lawyer and he said mm-hmm. uh, you know here's, here's here's the theory that I have this is years after the case first started and um, <laughs> and then later in an interview like with the defense attorney they were like okay well what about the owl theory and they were like well we think it's possible probably even but the reality mm. is is that I'm not going to rest my entire defense case Yeah. On an, an owl. owl.
0: That like, I, nobody I can
1: find. But, yeah. But but how did they get the microscopic things? And that's that's yeah. what troubles me about this is, sure, I would have expected to see feathers. I would have expected to see a mm-hmm. little bit more of a struggle if this really was an owl, because I would hope that human v. owl interactions tend to work out a little bit better in the human's favor, just for my own. Like otherwise I'm walking around terrified at all times. Yeah.
0: I'll constantly Uh, have owls. Yeah. Yeah. But,
1: but, but how did the microscopic traces of feathers did get in her? Yeah. How did they get in her hair specifically? I think she also had some bark under her, Mm -hmm. um, Mm -hmm. under uh, trace evidence of that. So how did that get there? Cause that's just too weirdly unique to just be there too. Perry, I wish I could tell you,
0: um, you know, I really think we're just never going to (laughs) know.
1: Don't gatekeep this. (laughs) Listen,
0: like, listen, sometimes, like, I, I read all this stuff and I'm just like, you know, and I have to figure out a way to, like, you know, give closure to this. And I'm just like... Nope, couldn't tell you, Perry. Like this is just one of those stories, and I'm like, this is your guess is as good as mine. So you know what? I just I also have to I just have to say, you know, for anyone listening to this and is just as confused, like le- like go to our Facebook page, go to our Instagram page, go to our Twitter account, go to our website, and you know, write us in and tell us what you think about the owl theory, about yeah. any of these theories, or uh, this case in general, any of our cases. Um, tell us what you think about it because we want to know too, and because it, it can't it can't be any weirder than the owl theory. Okay, so so send in <laughs> your theories.
1: <laughs> yeah, well. Uh, uh, until your next week, right? But <laughs> no, I just got to say True. this is just this story is just one of those that like you said you can't get closure and the people involved yeah. can't get closure. Now that we're thinking about, it, we can't get closure. Now that they're thinking about your <laughs> your listeners can't get closure. You know, this is this really is one of those things that uh will will be thinking about for years. I'm not going to lie. And and
0: It's and, another one of those cases that'll that'll keep me up at night for yeah, sure.
1: Yeah, and and and, and, and also the implications, too, for the justice system. I think we talked about that a little, so I don't want to go over too much again, but just uh-huh. what this how this kind of reframes the importance of that kind of work and, and doing your due diligence, yeah. because so true. because here we are with a whole lot of unanswered questions and a dead body. And um, uh-huh. and, and that's something that ideally we, we we would have better answers too at this point. Yeah. Well,
0: Perry, make I'm just gonna go for it here and wrap this bad boy up by the way, I feel like we could probably talk about this for a long time. But I'm just gonna say that is all that we have for you this week. So Perry, thank you so much for coming on and talking about this bizarre case and you know, <laughs> owls, uh, you know, um p- uh, pokers the works.
1: Yeah. Oh, it's been so bizarre. Really appreciate you having me on. Um to do a little shameless plug here, if you all want to check me out, I do do investigative reporting and uh, morning anchors. So um, you find me on uh, Twitter at Perry underscore Ellie, on Instagram at Perry Letv. My blue check mark was recently revoked, but I promise you, I had it at one point. Yeah, yeah, I'm not paying for it, man.
0: No, but if it was a nope. it was a
1: good it was a good run it was yeah, and you know
0: <laughs> i just have to say because i had that check i had that blue check mark like literally three times throughout my career and like i finally i finally had it and was like holding on to it for dear life and then yeah. it just got ripped out from my from my from my white knuckled hand so
1: yeah my girlfriend oh, well. was like perry have you checked twitter today like she was she had a look of genuine oh. concern on her face that mm. like i would feel the sense of loss but i yeah. was prepared for it i was born. yeah.
0: I I I would say I would get over it, but I think the more likely the more likely resolution here is that I'll eventually just cave in and pay the eight dollars, but. <laughs> Well, thank you again so much for coming on, Perry, and thank you all so much for listening. We are going to put all of our sources on our website so you can read everything for yourself and probably come up with a few theories, too. And if you are enjoying this podcast and are just wondering how you can tell anyone and everyone about it, the best way to help people find this podcast is by leaving us a five-star review wherever you are listening right now. So make sure you follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, and we will see you next week for another episode of Crime Over Why.